right, welcome to Marlena Graves. And she is the author of The Way Up Is Down. That's releasing on July 14th from InterVarsity Press. Marlena, thanks so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Ed. Uh, just to, to start out, I wanted to just kind of get an, a little bit of an update from you as far as what you're working on to talk about your book a little bit. Um, okay. And just your other, your other work as well. All right. Well, yeah, so I'm going to talk about the way up is down uh, right now. This has been kind of an interesting year because um, when I was about finishing my revisions for the way up is down, uh, my final revisions, InterVarsity asked me to write um, uh, daily readings on the Enneagram 9. I'm an Enneagram 9. Right, and same. So I was <laughs> finishing those revisions and then um, starting a new book and then uh, doing a little bit more revisions. So I have two books coming out, uh, The Way Up is Down, July 14th, and The Enneagram 9 in the Ooh. winter of 2021. But we're going to talk about The Way Up is Down right now. All right. That's what I've been working on, uh, per your question. But um, before the last presidential election, um, you know, I was just getting really disillusioned with the church and people selling their souls out for power and money. Um, leaders and people that I used to maybe listen to on the radio when I was a junior high teenager. I used to listen to Christian radio a lot. Yep. And I remember in, you know, the mid to late 90s, uh, maybe even early 2000s, um, different preachers and radio personalities talking about how important character is and um, in, <laughs> in, um, you know, in elected leaders, but just period, right? And then I see them doing about face. And I was really disturbed by that. Um, and it, to me, it doesn't matter, you know, in America, we have Democrat Republicans, but, you know, in other countries, there's nothing like that kind of uh, political binary. They have different, you know, different parties, nothing like that. And I was thinking about um, and I heard Richard Hayes say something along these lines, too, in a video that was um, produced in 2013, but that the Christianity transcends political categories. And, you know, because you can find a little bit of Christ's way in a lot of things uh, about how we should deal with the public arena. And so anyways, this book was born out of like disillusionment and disgust, I think. <laughs> Not just... Uh, radio preachers, but just the witness of our American church. How we treat the people that Jesus makes a beeline for, you know, and um, I talked about it in my first book a little bit, A Beautiful Disaster, Finding Hope in the Midst of Brokenness, but, you know, there's a lot of God talk. If we attend a Christian school, we're always talking about God and theology. If we go to church or if we read, even us Christian writers, writers that are Christian, but I feel like there's a lot of godless lives. And I'm like, why is that? What? And not just other people. I'm looking at myself, my the logs in my own eyes. Um, and so I wondered to myself, what would it look like to follow Jesus right now in this moment? Um, and when I think of scripture, and I've always been fascinated with this, Jesus always made a beeline for those, uh, the less fortunate, the lowly. He was born poor. Why? You know, I grew up very poor. 
And I think that might be why I've been obsessed with Jesus's poverty. And I always tell people he could have been born in a palace in Alexandria, Egypt, you know, in Athens, Greece, in Rome, any other kind of palatial place. But he came to the outback, you know, the country, the bumpkin, not the country people, but, you know, the rural area of Galilee, the uneducated. Can anything good come from Galilee? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Can anything good come from Galilee? It was an occupied territory by the Romans. And so why? Why did God, who had everything, come as poor to poor parents and when he could have chosen something? And uh, the book is based on Philippians chapter two, you know, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. He did not grasp at equality with God. Basically, he didn't take the status and the power that were rightfully his on earth. He took the way of humility, of self-emptying and self-offering the, you know, theological term for its kenosis. But I don't talk too much in like grand theological terms in my book, but what would it look like to live like Jesus with humility, with self-emptying, um, with self-sacrifice, with not grasping for power and position? That doesn't mean we don't use the power and position that God has given us, but we hand it over to him. You know, we, we give up our rights to follow Jesus. And so I guess to summarize, what would it look like to give up our rights to follow Jesus, no matter what our worldly status is, you know, it's going to look different for each person. The particularities are going to um, um, work themselves out as we follow Christ in our lives a little bit differently. But I do think that there are some major overarching themes that would look alike, like money and how we see people and treat people. And um, so I, the book considers, um, what it would look like to live such a life from a lot of different angles today. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious too, like how, what, what has your reaction been to seeing just how people re- react to like churches closing and wanting to like reopen their churches or people who don't want to wear a mask right now during the, you know, the COVID-19, uh, you know, pandemic, you know, what, what have your interactions with people been? What are your thoughts about that, that trend in yeah, the church? I mean, I- I understand people's frustration and wanting to get out. I mean, it's, it's been hard for everyone, but obviously it, uh, this pandemic has touched some people far worse. I mean, people have lost family members, they've been sick themselves. And so there's a spectrum of effects that this pandemic has had on people. And usually the poorer you are, the worse it is because you're an essential work. You know, if you're essential, if I don't want, let me correct that. If you are an essential worker, whether you're, you know, in the food industry or like migrant workers who pick our food that I've worked with in the past, um, uh, the people that put food on our tables, uh, the people that work at grocery stores or whatever. It's been really hard because they still have to go to work and they can't help it. Like they don't really have a decision. Um, they can't stay like I, you know, I, I did lose my job in February because of budget cuts, but I'm still able to stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, and not having to go to work at this time, except for, you know, writing, writing's work, but uh, different, you know. So, you know, as Christians, um, and I actually mentioned this in my book before the pandemic ever came out, I mentioned the 
Cyprian's plague in 250 uh, church history, where there was a plague that spread through um, North Africa and Europe. I don't know exactly what the details of the sickness were, was, but Cyprian was the Pope, a uh, bishop, Cyprian, I think, Pope, bishop, I think, I'm mixing it up now, but he, he told those in the church that they need to sacrifice their selves for the greater good. And in that time, it meant that they would go down, up and down the streets and bury the dead. It meant that they didn't just care for their own people in the churches, that they cared for those that were not believers, people that would, that were pagans, worshiped other gods. And it didn't matter. And that was such a huge testimony to um, their communities that the church sacrificed itself for their well-being. Now, it's a little bit of the opposite here. What would it look like for the church to sacrifice for their well-being during this pandemic? During um, And for the church to sacrifice, it means we care about the welfare of the elderly, the sick, the immunocompromised, and that means that we need to make sacrifices to make sure that other people are better. I don't really see this as, um, you know, yes, we do have the freedom. Paul says, you know, every, you know, everything is permissible, but not everything is good. I guess, you know, we do have the freedom not to wear a mask and to, um, you know, not take precautions, but I think that's not loving our neighbors. Um, whatever I can do to prevent someone else from getting sick, then that's what I've got to do. Um, and I think if, you know, Cyprian were alive now, he would probably say, you don't put other people at risk. Um, you do what you can not to put other people at risk. And, and what would that look like? And what would that look like in your churches? Um, and I'm sure that that's what would be done. Um, and so I, I understand the discomfort. I mean, it's inconvenient. Um, my girls want to get out and see friends, of course. And then in our house, in our, I mean, I think ours, um, our stay-at-home order lasts till May 29th here in Ohio, but people are still going out more because um, things have opened. However, we're not letting our girls do things that some other people are doing. Um, because I'm not judging other people, but I'm thinking, okay, we don't want to put other people at risk. And I haven't seen my parents uh, who live in Pennsylvania. My mom had a major surgery on March 12th. She had, actually had a part of her right lung removed because she had a mass in there, a cancerous mass. Mm. I couldn't even go to the hospital to see my mom. You know, I talked to her on the phone and, um, you know, she desperately wants to see me, but I say, mom, listen, we've been following the protocols, but I don't want to make you sick if I caught, you know, if I'm asymptomatic. So, I mean, I'm thinking about driving out there and standing out in her yard or something like that, but right. Um, right. it's been hard for everyone, but I just don't mm -hmm. think that, I think to be Christian means that we sacrifice for other people, even our lives, if it's called, I mean, it has, if, if, if Jesus calls us to sacrifice our life for others, that's what we have to do, just like he did. Um, it's not like I'm excited, you know, uh, do these things all the time. But if that's what we are called to do is what we have to do. So um, the InterVarsity Press website does have a sample of your book. 
Mm-hmm. So if folks want to go there and check it out. I, I was able to, to read it. It's very good. Oh, thank you. So you don't, uh, don't pull any punches, which is good. I think you, you write what people are thinking um, and you, you, you know, don't dodge the hard questions. Uh, you know, one of the, the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about, um, about your work and about um, my own book, Reconnect, coming out is mm-hmm. I really feel like you combine kind of like uh, spiritual direction and like social media use together really well. Like you're, uh, you're not out there in the fray, like, you know, picking fights. Um, you're, you're out there encouraging people and guiding people kind of pastorally. And um, yeah, I'm just curious to hear a little bit about like how you use social media in your, you know, whether that's in your writing or just as you do it as a, like a ministry um, or just, you know, or even just how you evolved to the point where you are today with how you use it. Thank you. And I want to say real quick, your book is extremely good. So people should go buy your book, Reconnect, as soon as it comes out, um, because it was very helpful to me. And you did a lot of research and work. And not only that, um, just the practices that you yourself mention in the book and practice yourself. Um, were very um, inspirational to me. Uh, You're an example to me in this area. But um, I think that the way I use social media in my life is just an outgrowth of just my personality. Maybe it is my ministry. Um, I think about how Jesus, you know, um, I've been thinking about this a little bit, knowing that I was going to talk to you. But, you know, Jesus sent out people to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and the implications of the gospel. And that's what I try to talk about on social media, the implications of the gospel in our day, to the best of my knowledge. And if I don't know something, like obviously, there's a lot I don't know about, I'm not going to talk about it, or I'll defer to people that do know uh, things. So, you know, with your book, Reconnect, you give really thorough information about media usage and the effects on our souls. And um, so I would defer to you on that but um i use social media like i said to i think communicate about the implications of the gospel i talk about my life a little bit because i don't um i want people to know that i'm more than one dimensional you know i know some people i actually think about people that might they only feel safe because of where they work to tweet out bible verses and not really have an opinion or express their opinion publicly because it can get attacked. And I understand that depending on where you work. Um, But um, I also think about the fact there there are things that I think are so obvious and take for granted that are not obvious to others because of just what I went to seminary, my experience working with migrant workers and inner city youth and the poor and being poor and you know, from my perspective, it's obvious, but it's not from everyone's because we haven't all had the same experiences. And so I try to use social media to communicate the things that I'm, that I would say I know and that I'm convicted of. Um, the, you know, other people use social media to publicly question things. And I mean, I question wrongdoing or, you know, certain policy decisions or the church's decisions, but you know, other people use social media to work out their faith online, and, you know, that's fine, but I'm, um, that's not exactly, uh, I do more of that inside, um, and privately, uh, uh, apart from social media, um, 
Um, that's, you know, and if I know, obviously we all have doubts and questions, but, uh, and I guess that's how I use social media, I think, again, to communicate the implications of the gospel. And also, I want to open the door and lift up voices of good people that I know and that I can vet um, because I think voices need to be heard. Um, and so that's another way I use social media, like, and, and also just for fun, like, I kind of uh, saw social media as I talked about, I think last summer is like a cafeteria. Like I use Twitter mostly, but I'm like, oh, let's see who's hanging out and what they're doing. Or, you know, I look like I get, I usually go to read Reuters on social media. I don't have a TV at home. Um, so, you know, I look up like Reuters stories and um, sometimes the BBC, but, uh, but also just first those social aspects. I, I, I prefer Twitter. I do have Facebook where I like put family pictures and some opinions, but uh, Twitter's my preferred uh, media uses, but also just to hang out and see people um, that I wouldn't normally get to see in the day to day or at my church. Mm, I love that idea at the cafeteria. It's, it's interesting to hear how, um, almost like having a, like a metaphor, some kind of controlling concept to kind of help us, you know, use social media, you know, maybe a little bit more, um, in just a more like healthy, balanced way. Um, and then as, as you use social media, I just know that, you know, you're one of the people I look to who, manages to be on social media but also speak to social justice issues as well and i was wondering if you could just share a little bit about how you manage that because you know it's like we don't want to be like taking selfies while we're like serving food to the homeless or whatever you know like there's that like yeah you know, there's like those kind of extremes or those stereotypes um and i feel like you've managed that really well as far as talking about the issues of the day advocating without you know, kind of the other extreme, maybe being like slacktivism of people who are just on there uh, to promote stuff but not actually getting their hands dirty. Like, how, how have you managed that? And, and just if you have any ideas for other people too. You said something that sparked a thought. I thank you for that. I don't talk, I mentioned it a little bit about, about it before, but I don't talk about stuff that I don't know. Mm. So for example, if I'm going to, um, you know, I might, again, I might retweet something someone else says if I think an issue is important. Um, but if I'm going to talk about immigration or poverty, I mean, I know poverty from my own experience, not that my experience is the same as everyone else's. For example, it was rural poverty, but um, uh, I feel like I need to live what I tweet. Mm. So if I'm going to talk about stuff with immigration or the border or um, what it means to be pro-life. Now, I don't put my resume out there. And I, because I'm like, um, I mean, if I really need to, <laughs> we can go to toe to toe about this, but let's just talk about a pro-life, a culture of life ethic. If I'm going to tweet about something, I feel that my life will give um, teeth to it. So if I'm not living what I'm tweeting about, and strongly tweet about, then I'm probably not gonna tweet about it. Um, or, and I don't feel it's as powerful if it's like you said, slacktivist. I mean, I think you can do good, even like people that are just learning about something, uh, whatever it is, whatever area of justice, which 
I've been careful to say justice and righteous are the same word, <laughs> justice mm -hmm. and righteousness. So you put righteousness, people that are going to live righteously, live a righteous life, are going to live a just life. It includes personal um, uh, holiness and, it, and social and cultural holiness. They're not divided in scripture. So uh, that's one message that I really care about, that personal holiness and social holiness. I mean, if you're doing justice out there, but you're not following Christ inside, then there's work that needs to be done. And if you think you're following Christ inside, and you are, but you're not caring about loving your neighbor, then there's work to be done. Uh, and there's always work to be done in me, by the way. Um, so, so if I'm going to treat it, like I said, about immigration, I know what I'm talking about. Now, there are some people that might be lawyers and that might know a little bit more about the law than I do. But um, I feel like to be to have integrity, I can't just pretend to care about something. I actually do have to care. And speaking about limits, I do have limits. Like I can't tweet about, I keep saying tweeting, but I can't social media about everything, every cause. Like I said, there's other friends that, um, like I care about the environment a lot, but there are other people that that's their main area of work. And I sometimes like, I care about the earth and, 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 and I try to live that way in my life, caring about the environment, but I'm not concentrated on that. There's a, people that have done a lot more work in that area than I have. And, and so I will defer to them. And so I think, um, I think maybe, and you maybe you can tell me, Ed, maybe that's hopefully that gives me integrity. Yeah. To, absolutely. Um, live out what I say I care about, but that's also pressure. <laughs> it's like the the weight of glory. Like, God, I'm such a sinner. I mean, obviously there's things I don't I'm not perfect at all. I make mistakes. We you know, you hear people say that, but I know that there are also uh, like St. Macarius said, there's demons and angels and good things and heaven and hells all in my heart. Um, and so I don't want to pretend that um, I've got it all together. I haven't made, but that is my goal to live what I talk about on social media. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you definitely do. So, um, so, you know, thinking about, you know, social media, I feel like I feel like you use it really well, but social media can also be draining. It could also be distressing sometimes or just annoying. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, you know, like these days, how, how are you finding, you know, space or practices that restore your soul, that help you reconnect with God, reconnect with other people? Uh, what are the things that, that you're doing these days that have been most helpful for you? Um, I think the discipline of the present moment to my family, um, getting out in nature and not, um, the hard thing about being a writer, at least in this age, um, I guess unless you're so spectacularly famous that you have a team of people that do it for you, your social media, <laughs> and you just have a huge team and there are Christians um, that are in that category, I certainly not. <laughs> um, my job kind of requires social media as a writer. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and again, I kind of see it as I like talking to like, we're using social media, zoom, you know, um, or right now just to talk. So it is a gift right in this. Yeah. pandemic. And you've mentioned that, um, yeah. Yeah. talk about that, how it can be used as a gift. 
but I guess I don't want to use it at the sacrifice of my family or face-to-face -face communication. Like, um, like if you were close by, I'd rather talk to you in person. Um, you know, we record this, but, um, and so I guess the being outside in nature, definitely silence, you know, meditating on scripture. Um, and I know that when I, and, and God has convicted me about this too in the past, because I, even just last year, I said to the Lord, um, you know, right before I read your book, I said, God, I feel like I'm not hearing from you. He's like, well, maybe you're on social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the time you would use to pray to me and whatever, you're just doing other stuff. I was like, you know, of course the Lord wasn't, it wasn't like a shameful or condemning type of conversation with the Lord, but I was very clear to me. He said to me, no, I'm not proud of that, but he's like, you're probably not hearing from me because you're spending too much time on social media. The time that you would use to uh, commune with me, um, your, it's, your social media time is eating into our time. <laughs> and so I, uh, I was like, dang, okay. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I'm not hearing from you as much. And so I, um, I think what's really important for me is that I don't use social media to stroke my ego or get my um, opinion of myself for it. Because sometimes I have people that attack me for views that I think are quite biblical and drag me down. And so that I don't let praise or um, very vicious criticism define who I am. You know, mm. you know, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I'll say thank you if someone gives me a compliment, but I cannot let what people think or don't think of me on social media or how I act on social media define who I am. I think it's a tool. It is not who I am. And I think mm -hmm. about that. It can be very dangerous because you can start to think, um, and, and you even write about that, Ed, and how you say, um, you know, the little, uh, the little notifications or mm -hmm. the excitement behind it that you talked about in your book and that I shared with my daughter. And I don't know if you want yeah. to say anything real quick, but like yeah. those kind of stimulants that make you addicted and I'm mm -hmm. over it because I can't say it as well as you are, but that was really important to me. I don't, I don't want to be controlled by that. Right. Right. No, I mean, the people who designed all the functions to make social media addicting are addicted to them too and had to stop using them. So mm -hmm. what makes us think that we're any better at resisting it if we don't even know how it works. <laughs> oh yeah. And it was really uh, telling to me that the fact you, when you wrote about the founders, um, it was it Bill Gates and I, the Steve Jobs too. Yeah. Steve Jobs that would not let their children have a phone or use that. I talked to my daughter about that. I said, look at even these people that you know started it. And I read it to my daughter. They wouldn't even let their kids use it because they know how addicting it is. I mean, that was a very uh, huge kind of revelation for me there. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're, they're discounting all their products for the schools while keeping their kids from using them. <laughs> so. Yeah. So a lot of things in your book like that were valuable for me. So I don't want to become like addicted. I don't want to, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's kind of a widespread addiction for everybody yeah. in the world yeah. because you're like, huh, you know, we're so used to it. And I even tried to get rid of our, Sean and I tried to get rid of our smartphone again after reading your book. And even the, um, you know, um, 
Verizon and other people make it difficult to get rid of a smartphone. Cause like in 2012, yeah. we didn't have to have a smartphone, yeah. but now you have to have a certain kind of data and it's really frustrating. Yeah. That's tricky. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking and sharing your wisdom and your stories and experience. I feel like that's there's a lot of good quotable uh, things to, for people to take, not quotable, um, portable things to take, you know, with, from this conversation. Uh, if folks want to connect with you, what would be some of the best ways to do that? Yeah, you can go to my website, marlenagraves.com, marlenagraves.com. There has my Twitter uh, Facebook. Um, you can sign up for a newsletter, uh, my inaugural newsletter that I'm going to sign send out. Um, All right. And, uh, also, um, Instagram. But you get if you go to my website, MarlenaGraves.com, it'll direct you to all that kind of stuff. And your Twitter handle is just Marlena. It's at Marlena Graves, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'd be happy to talk to anyone. And I want to say thank you to you, Ed, for writing such a good book with Reconnect. I think parents churches, seminaries, they, we should all uh, read it. I think it's uh, well done and a, a wonderful guide for us in this time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, so MarlenaGraves.com, folks, uh, stop by, sign up and follow her and check out her book coming out in July. Thanks, Marlena. Thank you.